Support for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by AstraZeneca, a biopharmaceutical business that is pushing the boundaries of science to deliver new cancer medicines. More information at AstraZeneca-US.com. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with Drs. Anish Chagpar, Susan Higgins, and Stephen Gore. I'm Bruce Barber. Yale Cancer Answers is our way of providing you with the most up-to-date information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, Dr. Chagpar welcomes Dr. Douglas Brash for a conversation about skin damage and DNA repair. Dr. Brash is Senior Research Scientist in Therapeutic Radiology and in Dermatology and Clinical Professor of Therapeutic Radiology at Yale School of Medicine and Dr. Chagpar is director of the Breast Center at Smilo Cancer Hospital. So, you know, Doug, we hear a lot about sun damage and the fact that it can increase your risk of skin cancers and so on. And especially with summer coming up, a lot of people want to know how much weight they should put on all of that. So, I'm glad you asked because it's something that we all tend not to think about. You'd like to go out in the sun. It feels good. You feel great afterwards. But it does have a downside. And uh, skin cancer is actually as frequent as all the other cancers combined in the U.S., and people tend not to know that, even physicians, because mm. a lot of them are easily treatable, and so we don't keep track of them. But some of them are not. Some of them are lethal, and all of them are easily preventable. So tell us more about the different kinds of skin cancers and how exactly the sun causes these cancers and what we can do about it. Your skin's an interesting organ. First of all, it's a very large organ. We tend to think of it as a, a big piece of saran wrap, but it's not. And um, it has a lot of functions, like immune functions. It has two main kinds of cells. Uh, one's called keratinocytes, which are the ones that you think about. They kind of hold your skin together, uh, keep your insides in, the water out. Th then there are melanocytes, which are less frequent, and they're responsible for your skin color. Mm. So each of those two cell types can cause cancer. The keratinocytes make two different kinds. One's called basal cell carcinoma, uh, which is very frequent but doesn't metastasize. It can be awkward to treat, so you do want to remove them. Um, the other one is squamous cell carcinoma, which uh, can invade and is a problem, so you want to get that removed as well. Uh, the melanocytes make melanoma, which are uh, the one that people worry about a lot, and justifiably so. Uh, those also, if you catch them early, uh, um, are easy to, to treat, easy to remove. And recently, there are some therapies that are making progress, even in the late stage. But uh, what my dermatologist says is, if you have a question, come and see me. I'll be happy to tell you, oh, it's nothing, but go ask. So. All of these are linked to sunlight. You can get them without sunlight, but uh, mostly it's sun that's involved. Uh, and we know, it, we know that because they appear on sun-exposed body sites. They're more frequent in Australia and lots of pieces of evidence. But different tumors work in different ways. So, for example, squamous cell carcinoma is related to chronic sun exposure, it's like a farmer. Uh, the farmers tend not to get melanomas hmm. or the basal cell carcinomas. And melanomas in particular seem to be related to uh, an acute sun exposure, like uh, the classic one is a, a bad sunburn in childhood. And so years, decades later, shows up somehow as a tumor. Hmm. Okay. So how exactly does the sun make these cells cancerous? Yeah. So for almost any disease, 
you don't get sick unless several things go wrong. Mm -hmm. And that's true here, too. And many of the several things are triggered by uh, ultraviolet light and sunlight doing different things. So it becomes a kind of a perfect storm. What, ha what ultraviolet light is, it's just a photon. It's light. You can't see it because actually nature has gone out of its way to make sure it doesn't get into your eye because it causes problems. So you can't see it. But it's light, uh, very high energy light. Uh, the, mo the highest energy is called UVC. It's uh, what you see in a germicidal bulb that you might see like in restrooms or something to, to mm. kill bacteria. Uh, that never gets through the ozone layer. And people tell me that it doesn't matter how much we deplete the ozone layer, UVC is not getting through, which is good because if it did, skin cancer would be a millionfold more frequent than it is, and we'd probably be dead long before the skin cancer anyway. UVB is lower energy. It does get through the ozone layer. Just how much gets through uh, depends acutely on how much ozone there is, and that's why it's so sensitive, why it's so important to uh, maintain an ozone layer. Uh, and then it causes uh, DNA damage when it hits your skin. We can talk about that in a minute. UVA is the lowest energy, but it's also more frequent in sunlight, and it can get into your skin deeper penetrate farther. It can also cause skin cancer. And until recently, it hasn't been all that clear how it works. Um, what happens in most of those cases, oh, I should say before I tell you how the UV works, not all melanoma is related to sunlight. Mm -hmm. Some of it um, is tied to uh, nevi or moles that you get when you're young. And uh, it, those may or may not be related. Some are related to sunlight causing the subsequent cancer, some aren't. So people with dark skin, like uh, Asians or blacks, have a lower frequency of uh, skin cancers. Uh, they do still get skin cancers, but it tends to be related to the nevi, uh, so not a sunlight-related story, or sometimes burn scars. Mm -hmm. So um, these are all worth keeping an eye out for. Would you like me to tell you more about how UV causes all this? Yeah. Okay. So it's a light photon, comes down out of the sky, you're on the beach, lands on your skin. It, uh, the photon's absorbed by DNA in about a picosecond. Hmm. And it can also be absorbed by uh, proteins. And that energy is going to go somewhere, so it excites the DNA. It rearranges the chemistry in the DNA, and two of the bases, the DNA is, we can think of four letters, A, T, G, and C. The T's or the C's can get uh, linked together. It causes a bend in the DNA that causes problems mm. uh, when you go to copy your DNA for a cell, and uh, it can cause cell death. It can cause uh, mutations, which are a change in the information in the DNA, and that's the sort of thing that leads, starts you down the path towards a cancer. The uh, UVA works a little differently. It's also absorbed by molecules, different set of molecules. And we recently found out some brand new chemistry we thought only happened in fireflies, but also happens in us, where we're still making that same kind of damage uh, that took a picosecond in the other story. But now it can go on for hours after you leave the beach. So you're driving home from the car, you're still damaging your skin in the way that can cause skin cancer. Hmm. 
And so, so, so you're lying on the beach, and the UV rays hit your skin. They excite the DNA. The T's bind with C's instead of with A's, causing bends in your DNA. So, how come we still function after a day at the beach? Like, how come all of us don't get completely mutated? Well, so there's a paper that came out a, about a year ago where people sequenced the DNA in the skin, and it turns out that by the time you're 80, your skin is largely mutated. Hmm. And so it was actually a really interesting question. How do we function? Because the skin is pretty normal. Now, sunlight induces aging in skin, so there, there's a problem. And it still functions nevertheless. Uh, not all of those mutations will lead to cancer. Some of them may cause this little patch of skin to not work as well immunologically or in some barrier function or your skin dries out with age, those sorts of things. But uh, the DNA damage is way more frequent than you might think. You go out to the beach and every cell has uh, a million or so uh, sites of DNA damage and your body mostly repairs those. It does actually a really good job. And in fact, the DNA bases, the A's, or sorry, the T's and the C's, nature has chosen them so they can absorb the energy and they turned it into heat really fast. It's quite amazing. Whereas very similar molecules don't do that. So nature's evidently figured this out. And um, there are diseases, though, that don't, uh, where people cannot repair their DNA and they have a thousand fold elevated incidence of skin cancer. Mm -hmm. So your body's very busy trying to prevent all these things from happening. And mostly it keeps up. Visible light doesn't cause skin cancer, if you think about it, that, and that's actually rather clever on the part of nature. And it's only the ultraviolet light. The, uh, the melanin is mostly preventing uh, skin cancers by uh, absorbing the light before it can go on. But again, that energy goes somewhere, and that's part of this other story we found about how you're making damage even hours after you leave the beach. So melanin turns out to be both good and bad. Um, but there are variations around the world in melanin content. There are variations in other protective mechanisms, and that's probably why some people are more sensitive than others. So is the idea then that in order to prevent skin cancer, we have to have either stay out of the sun completely, which is impossible really, or is there a, a dose of sunlight that we should be getting? I mean, people talk about vitamin D that we get from the sun. Um, how does that work? Or should we always be wearing sunscreen and do we need to make sure that that sunscreen says that it's got UVA and UVB protection? And how well does all of that work anyways? For sure you want, if you're on the beach, you want the sunscreen that protects against UVA and UVB. For sure we need the vitamin D. People tell me that you it's better to have the vitamin D that's made with sunlight and skin than getting it in your milk or in a pill. I can't quite tell how significant that difference is. And so how do you make this decision? And so when uh, my wife and I had our daughter wrestling, okay, do we put the slather chemicals all over her every day? What do you do? So we elected to. I, I think the best advice is stay out of the sun between 10 and 2 or 3, wear a hat, long sleeves, something like that. And that would be the first line of defense. So just be reasonable. I think personally that, yeah, go out in the sun and have a good time. Just don't fry yourself. 
And um, related to that question is the question of, well, isn't a tan good? Isn't it a good idea to get a tan to prevent skin cancers? And it's true that having a tan um, is related. Um, if you have a tan from chronic sunlight exposure, you do prevent some kinds of cancer. You might get other kinds. So it's not the greatest idea. Uh, a tan is really uh, part of the cell's SOS mechanism for, hey, I'm in trouble. Hmm. I've got to do something. And so you'll upregulate repair. You'll also induce the tan. But that doesn't mean so the signal for the tan is the damage. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you want to go out and damage your skin so that you can protect your skin. Uh, the best analogy there I've heard is um, if you didn't want your office to burn down, would you set a fire in your wastebasket to turn on the sprinklers so that there ever, if there mm -hmm. ever was a fire, um, the sprinklers would be on? Just not a good plan. So I think the optimum is just to be reasonable. And so when you say wear long sleeve shirts and a hat, are those really protective against UVA and UVB? I mean, can the energy still get through your clothing? Yeah, it can. Now, you can buy special clothing that with SPF numbers, just like the sunscreens have. Uh, I, I'm told that a T-shirt has an SPF of about six. Mm. So it's not like wearing aluminum foil. You're still at some risk. But so, so you just don't go hiking on the beach at noon and there'll be some uh, benefit. I should say that that's not the official, I'm not a dermatologist, I'm a researcher. The official recommendation of the dermatologist is stay out of the sun, put on the sunscreen. Um, that kind of overlooks, say, the vitamin D story. Mm -hmm. So talk to us a little bit about this whole story with melanoma and the idea that people who have melanin, right? Because I think a lot of people who are naturally tanned, um, it's not that they're naturally tanned because of sun damage, but they've got more melanin. And so they think of it as, or some may think of it as a natural sunscreen um, that protects them from, from UV rays. How much or how little of that is is true? Can they tolerate more sun than your you know your usual fair-skinned, red-haired, freckled uh, neighbor? So, it, epidemiologically, uh, the frequency of skin cancers in Asians is about tenfold less than in Caucasians, and in blacks, it's almost a hundredfold less. Hmm. And so, certainly, it's protecting. The people at highest risk of skin cancer are the blondes and the redheads. The thought for the longest time was, well, blondes and redheads have lighter skin, so more ultraviolet light gets through the skin, and that's why you have a higher risk. And one, one of the things that we found out a year or two ago is that the melanin, particularly from blonde and red uh, melanin, is chemically different than dark melanin. Hmm. has a sulfur in it, and the chemistry behaves differently. And if you shine light on it or ultraviolet light off, it shoots off electrons. It's really quite interesting at the chemical level. It turns out that if you irradiate mice who have red melanin, uh, you get more cell death, programmed cell death. And we found out that what happens is when you, when you irradiate skin that contains melanin, you start generating a couple, you upregulate some enzymes that make a couple different 
kinds of free radicals that combine, and then they uh, cause a chemical reaction in the melanin that's just like what goes on in fireflies, mm -hmm. except that instead of getting this nice soft glow, you get this very high energy level that's just like what you get when you're at the beach. And so that causes DNA damage. And so the melanin is both helpful and harmful. And the trade-off between those is dependent on uh, whether you live in Australia or Norway. It depends on whether you have uh, dark hair or blonde hair. And uh, maybe it's just the best that nature could come up with. Hmm. Well, we're going to take a short break for a medical minute. Please stay tuned to hear more from my guest, Dr. Doug Brash. Support for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by AstraZeneca, working side-by-side -side with leading scientists to better understand how complex data can be converted into innovative treatments. More information at AstraZeneca-US.com. Breast cancer is the most common cancer in women. In Connecticut alone, approximately 3,000 women will be diagnosed with breast cancer this year and nearly 200,000 nationwide. But thanks to earlier detection, non-invasive treatments, and novel therapies, there are more options for patients to fight breast cancer than ever before. Women should schedule a baseline mammogram beginning at age 40 or earlier if they have risk factors associated with breast cancer. Digital breast tomosynthesis, or 3D mammography, is transforming breast screening by significantly reducing unnecessary procedures while picking up more cancers and eliminating some of the fear and anxiety many women experience. This has been a Medical Minute brought to you as a public service by Yale Cancer Center and Smilo Cancer Hospital at Yale New Haven. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. Welcome back. This is Dr. Anise Chagpar, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Dr. Doug Brash. We're discussing skin damage and DNA repair. So, Doug, you know, what I'd really like to know is a little bit more about your research and how that all ties this whole concept of sun damage and skin cancer together. So this has turned out to be a really rewarding area to study because it's let us understand what's going on in skin cancer from the quantum mechanics level all the way up to the tissue and tumor level. For most cancers, like say breast or prostate, we don't even know what the carcinogen is. But for ultraviolet light, we have a really good picture. So one of the first things that I did early in my career, we were trying to find out what kinds of DNA damage are made by ultraviolet light in the first place. And we discovered or rediscovered uh, one that hadn't been known. And then we ask, okay, which ones of these are causing the mutations that uh, we suspected at the time were important for cancer? And so we were able to do that by combining molecular biology and genetics and the biophysics. And we identified, okay, which particular uh, chemical and physical changes to the DNA caused by ultraviolet light were causing the mutations. And the mutations turned out to be really unusual. So we said, oh, well, you know, if we ever saw those mutations in a tumor, we'd be able to tell what wavelength of light, what kind of DNA damage had been made 50 years earlier hmm. when uh, the person was out at the beach. And that actually worked. So are there particular mutations that you see repetitively where you can say, oh, if you have 
UV rays that cause this mutation at this spot, that's going to lead to skin cancer. Exactly. So what happens is, uh, I mentioned earlier that the ultraviolet light gets absorbed and it makes the T or the C stick together. So what happens is the C mutates to a T. And so it's a perfectly normal base again, but it's the wrong one. And that only happens if you have a T or a C next to another T or a C. Mm -hmm. And now you know why that is. That's where the damage was. So it all makes perfect sense. So this is what physicists love is to see some logic. So you're not just observing a fact. You're putting together, oh, here's the pathway. Here's why it's working. And so then that let us identify which genes have been mutated Mm -hmm. by uh, ultraviolet light, uh, working actually with uh, clinicians at Yale and other places who had the tumors and were interested in working on these kinds of problems. So we identified a number of genes, and then the question becomes, okay, what does that gene do for a living, and why did mutating it matter? Why did that lead to a cancer? So one of the first genes was P53, which Mm -hmm. we now know is mutated in all cancers, but we didn't know that then. We had to do some guessing. We got it on the fourth try, P53, for skin. And it turned out to be involved in several things, including uh, allowing cells to die after ultraviolet light, which is one way of preventing a cancer. Uh, Another thing it does is changes differentiation. Another thing it does is it participates in uh, the signal for tanning. So the same DNA damage that can cause mutations to death is also triggering some of your uh, safety responses. Mm-hmm. Which goes back to what you were talking about before about the waste paper basket and the sprinklers. Exactly. And so what is this trade-off? And you know, from a, uh, an evolutionist point of view, um, nature is worried about protecting you up to the age of reproduction. It's not so worried about what happens to you at age 80 and so that's what the fact these protection mechanisms might also come with a cancer later are not the biggest concern that nature had. Mm-hmm. And that may just be what we're living with. Then, so that's gotten us up to, so far, one mutant cell. But one mutant cell is not a problem. So it has to clonally expand into a group of cells. Well, how does that happen? And in, even in the cancer field as a whole, people tend to think about collecting genes and identifying genes that are mutated. But that still doesn't solve the physiological problem of how you got from one mutant cell into a tumor. Well, it turns out ultraviolet light does that too. Hmm. Just, just mutating a cell is not enough to make it uh, grow any faster than the surrounding cells. But it now has an advantage if you also add ultraviolet light, and the mutant cell actually does better than your normal cells, and so... In terms of replicating and growing another mutant cell. Exactly. And that turns out to be maybe even more important than the mutation. If if you're on the beach twice as long, you get twice as many mutations. Right. But if you're accelerating proliferation of cells, you're going up 2, 4, 8, 16. Right. It's exponential. Right. So so it's a a big problem, and I think people tend not to think about the physiology so much. Uh, Sunlight also inhibits your immune system, also not good. So... So it seems very clear that you've figured out that ultraviolet light causes these mutations, makes them grow faster, or gives them a competitive advantage against healthy cells, and impedes your immune system. So that's a perfect storm for, for cancer. But the next question is, that's great, but once you've figured out 
the mechanism by which the UV rays actually cause this mutation, what I'd be really interested in is, has anybody figured out a way to prevent it? Like a way to maybe get into the cell and prevent the UV rays from making that TC connection to begin with? One of the nice things about having six or eight things going wrong is that if you want to prevent the end process, you only have to block one of them. Mm -hmm. So you've got six or eight chances to find some place to intervene that might actually prevent the cancer. So the, the oldest one, of course, are sunscreens. And there what you're doing is either reflecting the energy, if it's uh, zinc oxide, or absorbing the energy uh, if it's uh, one of the standard sunscreens. The concern there is where did that energy go? And is it going to heat or is it making free radicals, which it does, and then you hope that that doesn't get into your skin. So that's the first line of defense. People have tried to put DNA repair enzymes into skin. Uh, it's not cheap, but it seems to work. So that's a possibility. Uh, one thing that we're looking at is, okay, once you've excited the energy in the DNA bases, can you siphon that energy off into some other molecule that's even better at dissipating it as heat? and that way never make the DNA damage in the first place. And so we're looking for uh, chemicals that do that. Uh, there are precedents. We just have to find something that works in this case. And it looks like radical scavengers may also uh, be a way to prevent some of these events from happening. Radical scavengers? So, so free radical is a, a molecule that has... Um, one too many or one too few electrons, and those happen a lot. Uh, so people talk about free radicals and aging, and that turned out to be important with the melanin story as well. They, they, it makes free radicals, and it turns on, and UV turns on enzymes that make free radicals. And so it may be that uh, blocking those uh, work. And so, you know, because people talk about these free radical scavengers and they talk about inhibiting, you know, nitroxide uh, dismutase and that kind of thing. And it seems to be something that people are talking about for everything. It's the elixir of, you know, youth and and prevents cancer. And and people are talking about these things like antioxide uh, agents that can be found in nature. I mean, people talk about blueberries and, and all kinds of things. So does that work? Can you, can you sit out on the beach and enjoy, you know, a basket full of blueberries and, and prevent uh, yourself from getting skin cancer because it will take care of the free radicals? Is that where we're going? I was very reluctant to get drawn into that sort of uh, study because of exactly the hype that you hear. Right. And the, the, the hype to data ratio is very high, mm -hmm. and the experimental tools you have for studying it are not very strong because all of these agents do six things, and how do you study one of them? However, as I got dragged into this, it turns out that, yes, this probably is important, and plants have figured this out mm. so that... Uh, on the one hand, there's the antioxidant story, and there's, on the other hand, this energy-quenching story, like how do you dissipate the energy. It turns out that what beta-carotene and lycopene are doing for a living in chloroplasts is not really acting as antioxidants. They're siphoning off this energy. So then I 
realize, okay, the plants are sitting out in the sun all day. They have had to deal with this problem. Right. And so it may well be that a lot of these chemical compounds you see in plants are exactly the sort of compound that might be needed. Now, plants are limited in what they can synthesize. Maybe we in a lab can synthesize something even cleverer than what plants have, but something along those lines, um, at a quantum mechanical level, a lot of these plant compounds are very cleverly designed in the way they channel energy. So, so that's a current or a future area of research? That's what we're working on now. It's one of two things we're working on now. One's trying to find chemicals that will divert the energy. And as far as something that you can put in a bottle for people, things that come from plants are much easier because you don't have to worry about the toxicity. They've been around right. for a million years. People have been eating these things. Uh, the other thing we're trying to do is figure out what was your sun exposure when you were a kid? Mm -hmm. And the way we do that now is we ask you whether you had a sunburn. Mm -hmm. But is there some way that I can take a little snip of your skin, a very small snip of your skin, and tell whether you have mutations that have been sitting there for 30 years or DNA damage that's been sitting there for 30 years? Because even people who have mutations in, say, DNA repair genes or other genes that predispose the family to skin cancer, they don't all get skin cancer. You still have to be lying out in the sun. And so it's important to know what that number is. Dr. Douglas Brash is senior research scientist in therapeutic radiology and in dermatology and clinical professor of therapeutic radiology at Yale School of Medicine. If you have questions, the address is canceranswers at yale.edu and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. I'm Bruce Barber reminding you to tune in each week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas.